and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast, where your favorite host, Chris Salamone, is not here this week. But don't worry, we've got a certified banger of an episode ready for you guys. We've got no idea where this conversation is going to go, but I'm here with my co-host, Ben Ueda. Well, I don't know where it's going to go, but I know where we're going to start. And, and that is? It's a recap of Thanksgiving 2019. So normally, we start with, what have you been working on? But since we've been in the same place and Chris isn't here, uh, we're going to start with the recapping the week-long maker event that we hosted out here in Joshua Tree and all of the various highlights of that. That's right. Okay, so I feel like since you are the, the majority organizer of all this stuff, we'll let you give the background info, but you pretty much hit it on the head. We had a bunch of people out over the week, kind of spanning from one weekend to the next built a lot of projects and sort of just got an opportunity to connect people that hadn't already met before and get a lot of really cool videos out of it. Right. So this all started when QuickCrete reached out to me and wanted an alternative to doing their one bag wonder competition. And that was a sort of a concrete DIY build competition. They had like a $5,000 prize. And instead they said, do you want to do something else? And I said, well, it's not that much money, you know. And so I said, well, I could probably cover plane tickets for about 10 different makers and fly them in from around the country. And we could just build stuff. And some of it will be concrete and some of it will just be other materials. And they said, okay, that sounds, that sounds fun. So I am not a good planner and <laughs> I'm a really good host for like a, a dinner party. Yeah. Like, well, we have our own little cooking things down and anyone that's ever come over for dinner at Maker Ranch has always left like full and like pretty satisfied. We make a good meal on the minimal side, healthy, lots of booze, possibly a little bit of uh, substances from our buddies over at Old Pal. That's right. Shout out but, to Old Pal. But more and more, like the idea is like we've had a bunch of people over, but we've had a bunch of people over individually. So we've had, you know, Mike Clifford, Medustrial Maker out before. We've had, you know, a, you know what? Let's not go down the list because I know I'm going to forget somebody right. or I'm going to say someone that hadn't been here already before. But we've had a lot of people that have come out on their own, done collaborations with us or kind of just hung out with us and sort of just hadn't had a camaraderie kind of experience. But it was cool to get everybody together. Right. And so whenever I've gone to things like WorkbenchCon or Haven, I always felt that the most fun was when everybody's hanging out the hotel lobby. Yeah. Because everyone's just having drinks, hanging out, catching up, and people end up talking till like three o'clock in the morning. So it's like, well, let's just make the whole event like that kind of experience, but with power tools and building. Yeah. So we rented two big Airbnbs where everyone could stay. We have Maker Ranch, which is the rental house where I'm building and shooting most of my content. We had the container house where we have uh, room for big outdoor projects. And basically, we had like 10 makers all working on stuff. We'd work all day, <laughs> eat together, lots of drinks. Johnny Builds brought out a one wheel, which is like Yo. a hoverboard. It's like an off-road <laughs> hoverboard. And it claimed so many victims right off the bat. So many scabs. So our boy Johnny Brooks from Crafted Workshop immediately like <laughs> just eats it well like, the funny part breaks though, his is... brand he just got a brand new apple wash completely yeah. crushes it all scratched up bleeding yep. jesse patches them all up yeah thank god wait who's the first person there. to crash 
Well, that's the funny part about it. Toth, is, Kyle Toth crashed first. Yes, he rolled his ankle pretty bad. He he left with a swollen ankle. But it was hilarious because Johnny Brooke gets there within five minutes, I'm sure, finds uh, Johnny Lambert's one wheel and starts riding. And he's like texting everybody at his high speeds. Yeah. Like he's like subtle bragging. So you know cocky. What I mean? It's not anything over the top, but it's just like, hey, just so you know, I just went 22 miles an hour and it's only supposed to go 20, whatever. And then <laughs> we show up and within five minutes, he's got road rash all over him. He's bleeding. And like I said, shout out to Jesse. She has patched me up many times from hurting myself, and she was there for everybody this weekend. It was awesome. But yeah, man, we killed, we killed it. There were some awesome projects. And quickly, it was super cool in that, you know, we did quite a few concrete projects, but it wasn't some sort of thing where it was like, hey, everybody, this is, you know, an event that Quick Reads a part of, so make sure and get your, your, your concrete bags ready. We just had some really sick, authentic ideas that were amazing and well executed, too, between the concrete pizza oven that Brett spearheaded and the concrete ping pong table that Mike from Industrial Maker spearheaded. Like, I think when it comes down to the concrete aspect, we killed it, right? Yeah. Mike Clifford from Industrial Maker made a concrete ping pong table, which in all honesty, what's up, Mike? Sounds very practical. And uh... <laughs> no, I was a little worried when he was saying that was what he was going to build because that's a big project a lot can go wrong and to do it on foreign soil not have the home court advantage yeah and mike clifford's a beast he pulled it off built a really awesome concrete ping pong table with a steel base and of course those led lights yeah the polycrylic net or not polycrylic i'm sorry polycarbonate there we go so he words are hard he built a concrete ping pong table johnny Johnny Builds, uh, also known as John Lambert, uh, made a really cool concrete coffee table where the rebar is exposed. It had that kind of mm-hmm. urban decay aesthetic. Super cool. Uh, uh, Kyle Toth brought a lathe. We actually hooked it up to the Goal Zero, and we actually yeah. discovered that we could power his small lathe from a solar panel and a Goal Zero. So Which was nice because we were running through every extension cord we could possibly find. It was absolute <laughs> chaos at Maker Ranch. There was just was so tools tight. everywhere. Ben Paik from Wobie Design was like milling up skateboards. Eric from Cutworks was welding up a giant skateboard press for uh, Ben Paik. And Eric then, from Cutworks helped out everybody. Yeah, he's the, real, he's the real MVP. No joke. Shout out. And for anybody that's not already following Eric, he is at cut c-u-t underscore works w-r-w hit it hit it ben w-e-r-x there we go you should be following him he's not only like just a killer woodworker but he's an insane welder he's he actually taught you a lot about the shaper origin the the handheld cnc that was something i was really impressed by he's one of the most well-rounded makers that i know and like, he's in the LA area, which is perfect. Exactly. Uh, he's not a big content guy. He's more of like a custom commissions. He does a lot of stuff for a local brewery. So he does a lot of like stainless and aluminum TIG welding, really skilled. Uh, he does a lot of, uh, he's doing more woodworking now and does some really cool furniture pieces. But he also uses like laser cutters and uh, he uses the Shaper Origin more than anyone that I know. And yeah. I just got a Shaper Origin. So he came out and sort of ran me through unboxing it and my first projects with it. And it's a really interesting piece of technology. 
what's funny is that like when I sort of revealed on Instagram, uh, people brought up all the things I said about it before on the podcast, where I said that I don't see how it could replace a normal CNC. And I still think that's true because you have to stand there and hold it. And like, if you're standing for an hour and a half or two hours, which is a normal cut time for a CNC job, that's a little bit wearing. But it's it's an hour and a half that you couldn't be doing something else, sort of glancing over your shoulder to make sure everything's still running well. Right. That being said, the technology is insane, like what it's able to do. But you have to be sort of it's weird. It's sort of like if a if a regular CNC is a robot where you give it instructions and then you leave it alone and it does what it's supposed to do. The shape or origin is like a cyborg where it's like becomes part it just like extends yeah. your capabilities in terms of accuracy for a handheld router, but you still have to be thinking. So it's like for tabs, it's really important to have tabs for CNC stuff because so the pieces don't come loose and then bump into the blade and get haywire and get all messed up. But you just have to like retract, remember to retract the tool on that last cut to leave a little bit. So you have to be very engaged. But for the applications that I'm looking at, which is like having more precise capabilities for traveling. And so I'm going to be mixing this in with my sort of other three or four basic power tools, circular saw, cordless drill, orbital sander and angle grinder. Yeah. Maybe a jigsaw too. This is a great addition to that because those ones are all kind of rough. And then this, I can do like really detailed stuff. I can make signs, but the the interface is great. The technology is very smooth. The cut quality is really nice as well. It's an exceptional tool. Yeah. But it would be a horrible way. It would be a horrible tool to spend eight hours a day using. Yeah. It's, it's an awesome tool to get one-off CNC quality terrible tool to batch items out with right big time but it's still awesome the way that so the whole concept of it is it's a cnc machine built into a router so you do all of the macro adjustments and moving so you're sort of pushing this basically computer controlled router around the surface of plywood or whatever your material is but then it does all of the micro adjustments so you just have to get it 90 percent of where it needs to be and then the computer is able to get it the rest of the way there for you And so whenever you make any turns or you have any sort of zigzags or anything like that, that's when the the sort of the the computer aspect takes over and guides everything. And so even though the machine is only moving sort of like a like a half of an inch in any direction, whenever it does start making zigzags or curves or tight corners, that's when it really sort of shows off its capabilities. And it's the coolest thing in the world. It's really weird. It's like playing like you're because you're actually looking. There's a screen on, it's like a router with two handles and there's a screen on it. And that screen shows you where to move the tool next. So it basically has a line that you follow. So it's like you're holding this physical tool that's spinning and cutting wood, but you're like looking at a screen and following and sliding the tool across the material as if while you're watching this little screen and playing a video game. It's, it's. It's so like pay by numbers. Or it's like playing that game Operation kind of where you try to get close <laughs> and stay by stay within the lines. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. shout out to Big shout out. Big shout out to Eric from Cutworks. Showed us new tech. He set up our big Forney welder. He gave welding lessons and helped a lot of people with their welding projects. He made us a fire pit, which was awesome. And uh yeah, be sure to follow him on Instagram. I'll say it one more time. C-U-T underscore W-E-R-X. 
He's the, the man. man, the myth, the legend. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, we also got to spend a little bit of time with Kyle Toth, uh, Wood Turner Extraordinaire. extraordinaire. Yeah, and you got we a knew little. It. You got a little turning lesson. I did. Yeah. So Kyle showed up, and I immediately reserved some turning time with him. I just let him know right off the bat. I was like, I don't know turning what you have with planned. Toth. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what you have planned, but just let me in there for a couple of hours because I knew everyone was going to be really excited to get to kind of meet with him and sort of have his ear for a little while because he's just so great at turning and woodworking. And he's got such a such a high skill level combined with such a high level of creativity, which is really unique to have both. And so I didn't want to take up too much time or, or ask too much of him. And so we just turned a nice little lampshade out of some of the cedar. Uh, we had some six by six cedar posts that were getting used quite a bit this weekend. And so we just turned one of those cedar blanks into a, I don't know what you would call it, just kind of like a retro, slightly atomic wooden lampshade for a color cord. And it was really fun. I learned a lot. He sort of took me through all of the, all of the carbide tipped tools that are now the sort of common recommendation for people that are just getting into wood turning because there's such a low barrier to entry. He kind of took me through all of those, made sure that I understood what not to do as well as what to do. And then because he had all of his traditional tools, all of his gouges and all of his chisels that were honed and sharpened really well, everything with those tools also carved like butter where I've used traditional tools in the past and haven't had the best experience just because I didn't have that expert over my shoulder saying, hey, pitch it up another couple of degrees, where that micro adjustment does sort of make all the difference between getting a good shear cut versus digging in and experiencing some chip out. So it's something that I've heard a lot from people like David Picciuto, who was actually out here this weekend. I've heard him talk about wood turning and one of the things that he said about his experience with it was going and taking a couple of real life classes whenever he was getting started was it just paid dividends on dividends. It made all the difference because he knew he was starting at the right foundation. And that was sort of the same thing with him is he got a couple of the the bugs that I had done in the past, a couple of the bad habits that I had. He, he ironed those out. We're able to make a really cool thing. And, you know, I got a YouTube video with Kyle Toth now. That's super legit. And so I'm happy. It was really fun. And, uh, and it turns out everybody that was here was just like the nicest guy. It's hard to say any one person was the nicest dude because everyone was just so friendly, so willing to share all of, all of their sort of, all of their secrets, everything they knew. And there was nobody that was trying to hog all the attention or there was nobody that was sort of walking around like he was better than anyone else or that he knew something other people didn't. Everybody that was an expert in something was eager to help. Yeah. It wasn't anything else other than that. The thing I thought was interesting about the wood turning was, okay, so I, I think it's going to be really funny. If you, when you post that video, you're going to get mm -hmm. a whole bunch of people saying, oh, you're not supposed to turn softwoods. Turning softwoods <laughs> doesn't work, right? Yep. And I, we get those kind of comments all the time. What's awesome is, but those comments are from people that are, Forum masquerading jockeys. as experts, but aren't. It's a forum jockey. Because when you're actually around the real experts, they'll tell you, well, yeah, turning softwoods is challenging because of these reasons and these things. And this is why it's not good, but you can still do it. Yeah. And it's like, Eric is a exceptional welder. And, you know, I always feel a little bit embarrassed when I bust out my flux core <laughs> welding <laughs> rigs. But you know what? 
an internet loser is someone that'll be like, oh, why don't you use gas? Why don't you do this? An expert will be like, yeah, gas is better, but this is what you have. Oh, here's three tricks on how to make this better. Yeah. Another great example is we brought in my buddy Al Rojas, who's a chef who has a couple of restaurants in Santa Barbara. And he came in and cooked for us on off the grid on the Traeger grills hooked up to the goal zeros. Yep. And I knew he's he's a really busy guy. He's always, you know, hosting events and he's got all these restaurants. But I, I told him about this event. And he he's kind of a maker in his own right. And he said, Oh yeah, I'll try to make it out. So I hadn't talked to him because I've been busy sort of like getting everything ready. He shows up, whips up awesome cocktails. We actually made cock Kyle Toth brought a bottle of whiskey or bourbon that he made. Mm-hmm. And Al made us cocktails out of all of that. And then he also cooked for us, made these incredible meals using the Traeger grills. And same thing. He's like, hey, do you have this? And we're like, oh, we have whatever's in the fridge. He's like, cool. (laughs) He's like, okay, interesting challenge. Let's figure out what we can make. The internet commenter would be like, oh, for cooking this, you need all these correct ingredients. But the real experts, the people that really know what they're doing, they just look at what's there and they come up with something that works really great on the fly with what's available, without complaining, without doing justifications like, well, if I really had the right ingredients, this would be so much better. So such an amazing weekend. So many incredible people. What were like your takeaways? What were like some of like, give us sort of like the broad, like kind of more philosophical things that you learned. And then what like some, and then also some like really specific, like tactical kind of making tips that you learned. Well, a few of the things that I recognized is It seems like everybody that was here does one thing incredibly well, but also has a side, uh, like not side hobby, but a side thing that they're investing a lot of time into. So someone might be really good at woodworking, but they're investing a lot of time into getting good at epoxy as well. Or somebody might be really, really good at working with concrete like Mike Clifford, but he's working really hard to be able to incorporate a lot of tech and LEDs into his projects. And so I think the big takeaway from me is I'm I'm starting to get more and more happy with my woodworking. So this week I put out a media console. It was all plywood, um, but it was just a really clean mid-century modern media console. And I did a lot of things on that that I really hadn't done in the past. I did fully inset doors. I made a, a really sort of clean tapered base that I had gotten better results than I had really had with any projects in the past. And it just sort of looked exactly the way I wanted it to look and it didn't have anything go wrong in the process. And it was an awesome experience having a project go smoothly, but it was also a really unique experience to not have any curveballs along the process. And so seeing everybody here that is adding a secondary skill to their primary skill and incorporating those two together was really inspiring because maybe it wasn't that specific project. Maybe the console wasn't the right place to incorporate some sort of tech or some kind of other medium. But if every project went as smoothly as that console table, things would start to get boring. Right. You don't want to just keep doing the same thing and getting really good at it. I think Kyle Toth is a great example just to keep going back to him. He's an incredible wood turner and his sort of reliable, steady stream of projects are turning things on the lathe, whether he's doing a bunch of tap handles for breweries or whether he's batching out insane custom segmented bowls, he can keep himself on the, he can keep himself busy on the lathe for as long as he wants to. But he also takes the time to do crazy furniture pieces with his sort of textured, like leopard print Lotus designs. 
And so he's not just saying, I'm going to get really good at one thing and I'm just going to be so good at it. That's, that's all I do. The idea is get really good at something so that that can go on to autopilot and you can bring in a new element of creativity into it. And that was just a running theme with almost everyone that was here. And it's not to say that I don't do that or it's not to say that, you know, I'm lacking really bad in that dimension, but it was really apparent that everyone else does that. And so it was kind of a kick in the pants to be like, all right, if you're going to start trying new things. So for me, I've got a few ideas with epoxy that I've been wanting to do for a while, but there's just a little bit of a learning curve to getting started with a lot of that. In the, in the epoxy projects I've done in the past, I've always done them with someone that knew how to do it. The epoxy island table, the cookies and milk table, as it's referred to nowadays, where I just took some olive wood slabs and some really, really solid white epoxy together and made a coffee table. That was my first experience. And I did that project with Brad Rodriguez from Fix This, Build That. And excuse me, and John Malecki. It came out great, but I leaned on them completely for the epoxy because I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And from there, the, the, the only other time that I've really done anything substantial with epoxy was when I did it with Urban Timber. And I did those conference tabletops that we did for Gary V. And once again, Urban Timber, they've got a guy named Cy, and that is his whole thing. He is just the epoxy guy for the shop. And so I just was an extra set of hands for him to tell me what to do. And so not to say that that's a bad thing. That's a great way to get started, like what we were talking about with the lathe. If you want to learn something new, learn it from the people that know what they're doing already. But don't have that as a crutch. Don't avoid doing those things if those people aren't there. And I recognize that that's what I had done. I've got this list of about five proxy projects that have been sitting around that seem to have really good potential and are also things that I'm really interested in trying out. and. Under any other circumstances, if things check both of those boxes, that means it's at the top of the list. But because there's so many unknowns with epoxy from what product do I use? What's the actual directions to getting good results? How do you avoid those common pitfalls that a lot of people get from, you know, things, uh, what do you call it, getting too hot and sort of like going bad on you, going haywire? All those small things that are unknown, they've sort of lended themselves to me avoiding them. So I just want to not do that anymore. So Total Boat was actually cool enough to send out a boatload, no pun intended, of epoxy for us to sort of experiment with. So while I had Johnny Lambert, who's had a few viral epoxy videos, as well as Medustrial Maker and some other people, I, uh, I got a little bit of reassurance that my plans with epoxy are on the right track. They gave me a couple of helpful, helpful pointers. And that's sort of my next thing is I'm going to explore the epoxy rabbit hole, but try and do it in a tasteful way that is anti-river table, because let's be real, we need some fresh blood. And I think I've got the ideas that can sort of bring epoxy back. Bringing epoxy back. But what about you? So for me, that was sort of the whole takeaway. It's this idea of if you've got a primary skill, keep progressing. But once you get to a point where that's on autopilot, don't let yourself go onto autopilot. Always give yourself something new. Right. So on like the business side and organizational strategy side, I got a ton of good tips from Brad from Fix This, Build That. Oh, yeah. On the making side, I... Oh, wait, really quickly. Let's go ahead and plug Made for Profit, which is Brad's podcast. Yes. Shout out for Made for Profit. If you want it, if you're a maker 
and you want to hear interesting discussions about monetizing and how to make money and the business uh, side of things, yep. uh, be sure to listen to Made for Profit. That's like their, yeah. their primary focus for every episode is around different aspects of the business of being a maker. Yeah, and that's whether you're talking about building things to sell or building for the content, because at the end of the day, they both feed each other and they do a really good job of stringing that together. Or custom commissions. Exactly. Yep. But go on. So on that side, Brad from Fix This, Build That, you know, we're we're the two old guys, so we just sort of sit <laughs> around and talk about how you young guys aren't practical. No, Brad's so much fun, just crushing Bud Lights and Mountain yeah. Dews. <laughs> And Brad killed, he killed it. He built the, probably the, in terms of size, just the biggest project this weekend. He built a massive outdoor table out of cedar six by sixes. So uh, that'll be coming to the fix this, build that YouTube channel soon. And for all the things we described on my Instagram, Benjamin Ueda, uh, if you go to the highlights, I have a, a highlight titled makes giving and it has about 70 stories from the week. So yeah. you'll see a little bit of, of everything. And I have the same at Modern Build. So check yeah. those out. And I'm sure plenty of people have done the same. I learned how to throw an axe from yeah. Alex from Mr. Build It. And it was an axe that uh, Ben Paik from Woby Designs made. And then Ben made a axe throwing target. And with then, your face on it? Well, <laughs> he collaborated with Stacy, uh, Eric's yep. wife, and they put a silhouette of my face on the axe throwing target. It's a very shepherd fairy looking piece of artwork and yep. it has a bunch of axe holes now in it. Seems like a lot of people were hitting bullseyes. I don't know if that's a... It just speaks to the motivation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, oh, and then another project that I think is really notable is Brett McAfee. Mm-hmm. Check him out on Instagram under Skull and Spade 13. He made a skull shaped concrete pizza oven that actually works yeah it's we made a pizza and everything so he built that out (laughs) of container house and that was another project him and mike clifford's projects were the ones i was worried about i'm like we only have a failure rate high failure rate but also no time there's there is like no time for something to go wrong either right and concrete's a difficult material to recover from in a tight time window because it can crack there's so many ways that concrete stuff you just get a bad bag but Brett pulled off it's a very it's kind of like a day of the dead kind of hispanic looking skull mm-hmm. it's super cool kind of or or from like what was the tim burton movie nightmare before christmas yes if tim burton in that movie made a concrete pizza oven that looks like a skull that's what Brett made it's yeah. totally badass. Smoke comes out of the nostrils. Yes. That's all that needs to be said. I think you can picture it now. So what was crazy was that this was all happening at the same time. And there was no schedule. There was no like, okay, sign out for this tool. It mm. was just chaos. But everyone made it work. Everyone sort of helped out. People, whenever somebody would do a Home Depot run, they would ask everybody else if they needed anything. We shared tools, shared resources, shared information. and. Just an amazing event. And we will be having another one next year. That's right. And we're working on figuring out how to invite more people. So I know when you see things like this happening on Instagram, there can be a lot of sort of FOMO or feeling like, oh, where's my invite? Yeah. I wish I could have invited so many more people. There's so many people that like 
I really wanted to bring out. Totally. But this was an unproven event. We had very limited resources. I was out of pocket for uh, a lot of the things for it. So right. uh, we'll try to figure out how to get more sponsor support and blow it up so that we can involve more people next year. And the cool part was if this is what you would call a proof of concept, I think we proved it to be a success, right? Oh, this thing without was, a doubt. It was lit. It was so fun. And everybody that showed up got a video out of it also. That was the crazy part is for a lot of these conferences and a lot of these get togethers that are organized by people that aren't necessarily a part of the community, everybody's scheduled so deep and everybody's so busy that you sort of travel for a week, but then you come out of it trying to play catch up. But in this situation, everybody showed up. We all got to have our little fun time, collaborate, but everybody left with a video to edit. And so if we can figure out a way to continue to scale that and then also involve everybody that isn't necessarily interested in making a video, you know, there's plenty of people that would be happy just to be able to come out, spend some time with everybody, maybe get their hands dirty with a big group project or something like that. If we're able to figure that, the logistics of that out, I think this is the sort of event that could turn into something that a lot of people look forward to kind of kind of regularly almost every year you know it was kind of like our own little maker burning man it was yeah like every, there wasn't a set plan you had to kind of be self-reliant and figure it out for yourself and figure out how to survive and but everyone helps each other and yeah rolls with the flow so super fun stuff so did you actually get a chance to do much building or me and you were kind of busy being hosting so we couldn't do too much that was sort of it. Yeah, I was playing. I was trying to play Airbnb host for our house, which shout out to Joshua Tree. I found the coolest Airbnb. That thing was a little mid-century modern gym. And I was in a house with Kyle Toth and David Picciuto, who are both kind of big retro atomic furniture fans. And so as we walked into the Airbnb, they were like, oh, dude, this place is sick. And I just went like, I just went, yes. I was so excited by that. Um, So it all went really well. But what did you ask me? You asked me a question. Did I learn anything? Is that what you asked me? I forgot what I asked you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's wrap up this whole Thanksgiving talk by just saying it was an incredible time for anybody that wasn't able to make it this year. We're trying our best to figure out how we scale this. We don't know if it turns into a thing where it's like, like just a ticketed open to the public sort of thing. If that's a possibility, we're definitely entertaining it. Or if it's a thing that is similar to what we did this year to where it's not quite open to the public, but extended to a lot more people. That's another option as well. So basically what we're trying to do is make this, you know, as big as it can be and still retain the authenticity and the fun that we had this year. We don't want to turn it into some kind of corporate, some kind of whatever you would call a curated experience that's way overpriced and way overproduced. We want to keep the ball rolling the way it did this year and keep it free-flowing and really creative. So whatever it looks like next year is going to be just as fun, if not better. So stay tuned. Keep it fresh, organic, and crispy. That's exactly it. Yeah. But anyways, to recap, Thanksgiving 2019, huge success. Wish we could have had twice as many people, but maybe Thanksgiving 2020 is even better. So stay tuned to that. But right now, let's give a big thanks to a couple of sponsors that are making this episode possible.
If you've ever wanted to start your own online store, there's no better time than right now. E-commerce brings in over $500 billion in sales each year, and that's projected to grow to $1 trillion in the next decade. If you have a business or product idea, let's face it, you need to be selling online. But maybe you're scared of how much time it'll take to code your own website or how expensive it would be to hire someone else. Enter Volusion, the easiest and fastest all-in-one e-commerce platform. Designed specifically for small businesses, you don't need any design or coding experience. Imagine opening the online store of your dreams in minutes instead of weeks. Volusion offers stunning 100% free themes built from the ground up with clean, modern design and built-in SEO to help drive traffic to your store. Just drag and drop your products, manage your inventory, accept credit card payments, and easily connect with your customers. Then take sales to the next level with hundreds of free apps and integrations and premium shipping discounts. Plus, Volusion has in-house marketing and design experts that'll help you target your audience in no time. And with no transaction fees ever, Volusion merchants make on average two times more than on other platforms. Now, after hearing all this, I had to try Volusion for myself. So I built a test site using the theme Threads and Laces, which is a super clean, minimal store design. All I needed to do to create product listings were drag and drop photos, add a simple description, and set my price. That's it. I was able to build an entire test site in under 30 minutes. So come see why Volusion is the number one rated e-commerce platform according to Trustpilot. Get a free 14-day no-risk trial, no credit card required when you visit volusion.com slash maker. And as a special for the Modern Maker podcast listeners, get 50% off your first month's plan when you use the code maker. This is an exclusive discount available only to our listeners. So to repeat, get a 14-day no-risk trial, again, no credit card required, by visiting volusion.com slash maker and use the code maker to get 50% off your first month's plan. That's V-O-L-U-S-I-O-N. Thanks, Volusion. Do you run your own business? Well, let's be real. When you started, you probably didn't dream about all the admin tasks back-end work, drafting proposals and contracts, tracking down payments, invoicing, all of this, it probably wasn't a part of your vision. That's why you need HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. HoneyBook makes it simple to run your business better. Mike, you really need this. Professional templates, e-signatures, and built-in automation keeps everything on track and makes you look good. That's really important to me too. It's like, I don't want to just look like I'm basic Excel guy just sending over black line silhouetted spreadsheets. I want everything to represent my brand and my business. That's right. And they can even work with all the services that you're using already. So whether you've got email lists on MailChimp or you're using Gmail and Excel, maybe Google Suites, even QuickBooks, you can consolidate and integrate all these services into HoneyBook seamlessly. It's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. So save time and do more of what you love, which in our case, building, making awesome videos with HoneyBook. That's right. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit HoneyBook.com slash Modern Maker. Once again, that's HoneyBook.com slash Modern Maker. Payment is super flexible. And the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So get the plan that fits your business best. Go to honeybook.com slash modern maker. 
honeybook.com slash modern maker for 50% off your first year. This isn't a month trial. This isn't a three month deal. This is for a full year. It's worth it. Check it out. Get it. Thanks, honeybook. And we're back. All right. So enough makes giving talk, right? We don't want to make everybody bummed out that they weren't able to make it. What have you been working on now that everybody's gone and the house is back to uh, Classic Maker Ranch, where we're all just grinding out videos, filming like crazy? What are you working on? Right. So I got a little bit antsy because it was like a week where I really couldn't work on any of my projects. I was busy kind of either shuttling people around, making sure people were settled. You know, showing them where the tools and materials are on our different sort of build locations are. So, but at the same time, I was talking and having a ton of great, inspiring conversations. So I was like loading up projects. So nice. I am going to be doing a flurry of concrete projects coming up. I'm going to be using the Shaper Origin to uh, mill out some MDF. And I'm going to do another updated planter and paver project this time. Both are sort of modular and fitting into one sort of patio design. So I'll be using the shaper to cut out MDF and then making a silicone mold and then producing the concrete components. I'm almost done editing the video for the island, the outdoor kitchen island I did for Traeger, which is the biggest project I've done in a while. And just, you know, a thousand pounds of wood, steel and concrete. And then... I'm working on more 3D printed furniture. Got a copper media console with 3D printed joints. And let's see. What else have I been talking about? I know you've been talking a lot about 3D printing. And since the whole thing, you've been talking a lot about concrete. So you've made, let's just say you've already made a million concrete projects, right? (laughs) So let's say you're already there in the autopilot stage, like what I was talking about earlier when it comes to the, you know, woodworking or whatever you do a lot of. What's got you hype about concrete now? Why are you so hype? What's, what's the potential that you didn't see before? Well, it's just taking things to the next level, right? So I don't think invention is like 10 new ingredients all mixed together. That's like the way a kid would make something. They just grab everything <laughs> out of the shelf and mix them randomly. Yeah, that's why you just go to the soda fountain and you just blend them all together. Right. Yeah. So what I was excited kid, about, about with the shaper is that I can make you know, my, my other CNC, the, the one from Inventables, which is fantastic, it's great because you can do stuff, but it's, it's limited by about a 30 by 30 inch bed. Now that I can do bigger things, I'm like, oh, I can make big concrete molds, which cover more space for a patio easier. So it's when you get a new piece of technology, it's like, how do you fold that into the work process of everything else that you've been doing? Mm-hmm. So it's not that like I, so one new technique or capability reveals like a whole bunch of new ideas for me. So I've been thinking a lot about sort of pattern and texture. And I really liked the paver projects I did in the past with 3D printing, but I kind of felt like they were kind of a one liner. So I don't want to just do another one where it's just like, make a blank, this part of a cool pattern, and then make a silicone mold. And then you make the concrete thing and you're done. Right. Now I figure out how to how do I add a different dimension. In this case, how do I take that pattern and then in some cases make it go vertical where it comes out of the ground for raised planters, but staying within the panter, uh, within the pattern, you have like concrete pavers. So it's really just about that one step of escalation, which if you think about it, that's kind of like how all kind of businesses goes. Like when Starbucks probably started, they probably just had like coffees, Americanos, espresso, 
yeah. lattes and cappuccinos. And then they go, oh, let's add some salted caramel. Let, and they kept, <laughs> and now it's like, they've probably gone too far. I was about to say, and then you go too far and you bring it back to reality. Oh, but what was the new drink that we got you into? The nitro. Nitro cold brew. So with a splash of coconut milk. For everybody that's hating, yeah, yeah, yeah. Starbucks is Starbucks, but nitro cold brew is the bomb. It's so great. And the the local coffee shop, which is just the the Joshua Tree Coffee Roasters, they've even got a nitro cold brew tap at their place. And it's so great because my whole shtick is I just want black coffee. I don't want to add anything to it. I just want the kick without any kind of extra sugar or anything like that. And so this is it. It's got that sort of creamy texture, super great foamy kind of thing happening, but it's all black coffee and it's healthy for you. And it's just a nice caffeine dose. Yeah, it's good stuff. So I'm excited about sort of taking the things I learned from this other group. Oh, I also got some nice uh, skateboard blanks from Ben Paik. That's you right. Know, those nice colored laminates. And I want to embed those in some white concrete. Yeah. I just think like the white concrete's really good, but, and oh, and the last thing is inspiration that came from a failure. So Ben Paik, there was a lot of drinking and, you know, yeah, we're so, in California and, you know, people were getting a little, <laughs> smoking a little bit of uh Can I, can I jump ahead of you a little yeah. bit on this one? So Ben Paik, who already works with skateboards, yeah. wanted to incorporate skateboards into concrete somehow. And you and him workshopped a pretty cool idea. It was essentially a concrete bench with some scrape with some skateboard stripes incorporated into it. But like we've said before, Ben was playing host and so he was kind of running around like crazy and I was really doing my best to sort of be everybody's shop hand. So, it feels like for the majority of most days I just had people sh- like Mike, where's speed squares? And I was like, I don't know, but I'll go find one for you or Mike, where's this? Where's that? I need more batteries. That's what I was sort of doing. I was making sure everybody had everything they needed. Well, in this case, what Ben Paik needed was just a baseline knowledge of concrete. Now, I'm not the guy for that, but for some reason, I felt like I should have stepped into that role. And so I was like, yeah, Ben, let's make this whole thing. So me and him set up a concrete mold. We made a really good mold, but we did not pour the concrete correctly. Each night after everybody was building and after we all had dinner, we sort of wound down. We, uh, we had a nice little fire pit. We had a little bit of, uh, you know, let's just say we had the legal substances in California. You know what I mean? Let's just say that. We were drinking yeah. a little bit and everybody was just hanging out and getting loose. Some nights we had, you know, Mike Clifford doing dip dyeing. Other nights people were making concrete forms like what me and Ben Paik were doing. And this night we decide, hey, it's 11 o'clock at night. We're already maybe a little bit more drunk or intoxicated as we should have been. Let's pour this concrete mold so we can let it cure overnight. Let's just do it. We'll save so much time. And so we get some quick re- countertop mix, which is a concrete mix with no aggregate. So it's really, really, really fine. There's no gravel in it, um, but it's got kind of like a high silica ratio. So it bonds and stays a little bit stronger. We pour this mold for the concrete bench that he wanted to make, and we let it sit for about 30 hours. To pull it out of the mold to realize, oh no, we never vibrated the air bubbles out of this. We just poured the concrete, put the plywood backer board in so that we could attach legs to it later on, and completely forgot to vibrate any of the air bubbles out. But at the end of the day, 
it made for a really, really, really cool surface texture. Hit it, Ben. Right. So it had a kind of a lunar look. It looked like moon craters. So it was a total disaster and a total project failure for that thing. It crumbled. Yeah, it crumbled to death. I saw that texture, which is, you know, any concrete expert will tell you is like, oh, that's really poorly poured concrete. But it had a cool aesthetic. And now I want to look like moon craters. It was insane. It was so cool. So now I have to figure out how to recreate that fail and then encapsulate it in an epoxy to create sort of a lunar looking white concrete table. Yeah. To be able to retain the rigidity and the strength that you need, but still have that look. All right. So, Mike, so it's a fun challenge. Let me give you. So if I do that, should it, should it be a round table? Ooh, it should. It needs I, to be, right? It 100% needs to be. You need to do like a dark side of the moon table. Oh, I can fade it so it looks like it's yeah. a half in the shadows. Exactly. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but that's a good rabbit hole to go down for sure. Okay. So question would be. What do you reinforce co- it with? Well, that's easy. Rebar? If I wanted to do the gradient for both, like, the, so I'll use white quickery and I'll recreate it the same ways to get that kind of like moon crater texture. And then I'll seal it with a thick coat of epoxy. Like bar top resin. Yeah. Now, if I wanted to do it where it like looks like a crescent moon, where it's like partially in the shadows, Ooh, but yeah. still has the round shape of the table, do I do the gradient with pigment in the concrete? Or do I do it with darkness in the epoxy? Okay. I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and preface everything about what I'm going to say by (laughs) I don't know. But the only bit of experience that I have with this, I would love to share. My DIY Kintsugi table, where I basically made a round concrete table and broke it up and then kind of just joined everything back together. I really wanted to make a follow-up to that. and And I tried four times. I made four concrete tables. So that I could try to create a concrete river table that was round, but with multiple breaks in it. So it was like the like tributaries to a stream coming towards it. I didn't ever get it to succeed, so that video does not exist. But my end goal with that video was to create a black concrete river table, sort of to juxtapose the white concrete river table that I had already made. And my plan was to do India ink. And it was sort of inspired by you, because you did India ink on a concrete a coffee table a few months before that. And what I found is that the India ink absorbs insanely well to porous concrete, but it almost absorbs not at all. It almost doesn't take any of the color to smooth concrete. And so with this, with this sort of like lunar texture that the project that Ben Paik did, that lunar texture, I bet it would just soak up India ink like no other. That might be the route to go. Yeah. It would it, be hard to make a gradient though, right? You would have to have like a a clever way of like kind of misting it on with a spray bottle in a Almost gradient. like watering it down too. So it's not quite as intense where you want that sort of shading to happen. Yeah. So what are you thinking though? Do you think it would be better to do it in the resin or do you think you could pigment the concrete some way? I think from like, like if I was thinking about the actual moon as the inspiration, I think doing it in the resin would make more sense because it's like, the moon's surface isn't colored different. It's just a shadow over it is different. Right. So thinking of like the that, but I think it'd be easier to do it in the concrete. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a number of ways of, to do it. I think you could do it where the hard part would be you could just pour two batches of concrete, one dark, one white, and then 
just shake it just enough where they start to mix. Yeah, just half mix them together, sort of. Right. Like, a, like you know those like soft-serve ice creams where you get the chocolate vanilla swirl? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know what's funny? It's like, you always know the sign of when you're hanging out with, like, good people is that you may be a, not get a lot of sleep because you're staying up late talking, having fun. You know, everyone's working really hard. So you're kind of exhausted, but you still feel energized mentally about what yeah. you got to do next. So when everyone left, it was really sad to see everyone go. But I was also like super excited to get to work. So I was like exhausted. It was a long week. We did a lot of stuff. We went on an epic hike. Yeah. But I s- feel like physically tired, but like mentally energized. And that's the way to do it, man. That's the sh- that's best case scenario. So shout out to everyone that was there. Johnny Brook, Johnny Lambert, Mike Clifford, everyone else. God dang it. I, I don't know why I thought I was going to go down the list. I'm not going down the list. Shout out to everyone that was there. Let's transition into everybody's favorite part of our show, current obsession. And I feel like this week is sort of unique because we're a little bit overexposed. So we're going to have to sort of like n- nail something down. So maybe take a minute. All right, Ben, now that you've had time to think about it, what is your current obsession? My shout out is going to Brett McAfee from Skull and Spade. He's the one that made this really awesome concrete skull pizza oven. And this was his first time working with concrete. And he chose a really difficult project for his first time. His background's more in like metalworking and he does a lot of cool blacksmithing stuff. He makes really cool jewelry. So be sure to check him out on Instagram at Skull and Spade 13 and then on YouTube under Brett McAfee. But easiest way to find him would just be go to my Instagram and I posted some pictures uh, or videos of the pizza oven skull and you can just click over to him. Absolutely, yeah. He uh he works with Jimmy a lot and does a lot of projects with Jimmy Duresta and I think a lot of people maybe associate him with Jimmy but he's making incredible things in his own right. He's got an awesome YouTube channel, so check out Skull and Spade. He's crushing it, and uh, it's just uh, it's just uniquely creative. Yeah, a lot of things aren't exactly purpose driven. A lot more are a little bit more artistic, and his blacksmithing skills and his video making skills are off the charts. So shout out to Brett. My shout out this week is going to actually be to Johnny Brook. It's funny that I mentioned him like a few minutes ago, top of the list. But while he was out, he was working on a concrete guitar as well as a solid epoxy guitar. I am excited to see that concrete guitar. Two completely impractical instruments that are going to get so much hate from the guitar or from the musician community, but it is exactly why I'm excited for them. I know none of them are going to play great. I know none, I know none of them are going to be better than just having a good, solid body guitar, but I'm just curious to see what a concrete guitar sounds like. Does it sound good? Does it completely kill the resonance of the instrument or does it actually have some sort of unique element that's better? Maybe not better. Better was a stretch. Maybe it has a unique element that is sort of uh, worthwhile to experiment with because I've seen some people make, uh, like Tim Sway is a great example. Tim Sway's built guitars out of like hollow core doors. I've seen people make bass guitars out of solid metal. And it's not that any of those sound particularly better, but they just sound really unique. 
you know, whenever you have a guitar where the body of it is made out of steel, it's got a really interesting resonance on higher frequencies that you really don't get out of a traditional bass guitar. And so I'm just interested to see what these things sound like. So shout out to Johnny Brook. He was busy doing a lot of mold making and a lot of casting. And I was sort of over his shoulder a lot of the time trying to get those little tidbits like I was talking about earlier on on the episode. So check out Crafted Workshop. He is uh, he's a he's posting probably more projects than me and you are, huh? He's, he's a busy it. guy. Killing so it. So check him out and check out everybody else that was here this weekend. Make sure and check out all the Instagram highlights so you can find who to follow. Aside from that, thanks you guys for watching. This has been a very fun episode. Sorry that Chris wasn't able to make it, but at the end of the it's day, it's his birthday. Dang it, man! I was about to just wish him happy birthday. Right. Thanks for stealing my thunder. Happy birthday, Chris. You're a great guy. And uh, I hope that it was as good as you hoped. And until next time, everybody, this has been the Modern Maker Podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your weekly routine, whether that's in the workshop or on your way to work. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. So do you think we should post Chris's address and have everyone send him Pop-Tarts? Did I? <sighs> Did I tell you that whenever we were all out hoverboarding the first day we were here, Chris had been at the house for maybe 30 minutes and I turn around and he's eating double stacked pop tarts. He just got, he has two pop tarts still stacked together, still mostly in the wrapper and he's just snacking on them as if like, he's like, I just need to make a point so that I eat pop tarts in the first hour so that I can keep my credibility. He's just a man that understands himself. He, he knows what he likes. And he likes what he loves, man. Yeah. Not to mention, he's making an incredible project. So go follow Chris at Four Eyes Furniture also. Yeah. Bye, everybody. The the episode's actually ending right here. See you next week. Bye. Bye.